Well, it's a privilege to be here. It's a privilege to count your pastor as a friend. And, um, and I, hope, I hope with our different styles of preaching that, uh, that you'll be able to understand what I say and, and what's going on. Um, guys, I, I'm a Southern Baptist through and through. And I uh, thought I'd share with you just a little bit about myself before I jump in. And then I want to share with you a story because we're talking about, um, we're talking about supporting Christian Challenge. Uh, here in your church family, and, and I wanted to let you know a little bit what's going on with that. But I am married, and uh, my wonderful wife is sitting over here. Put your hand up, wave. This is Susan. Um, we have four children. Please later, don't ask me their ages. Ask her. Uh, I don't do ages. I recognize them all in a crowd, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, but my children are Stephen and Sarah and Anna and Ashley, and uh, they're all married. The last one uh, got married three weeks ago. Um, right here on this platform, and uh, we're just excited. God has given them all good Christian spouses, and, and guys, we've been blessed beyond anything that we deserve. And uh, I've been pastoring uh, for a long time. I've been in ministry for 33 years, 14 and a half years of that as a pastor. Eight years ago, I came to the Baptist Convention of New Mexico. Uh, but more important than all those things, when I was nine years old, when I was nine years old, an evangelist named Vincent Cervera shared the gospel during a children's worship service during a revival, and, and God, God drew me to him. And uh, that day I, I was saved, I became a Christian, my life changed. Um, it's hard for me to describe for you how my life changed, uh, because only, only an individual knows the darkness that they carried within themselves when they got saved that God delivered them from. Amen? And all I can say is, is, is I, am, I am privileged to, to be here. I can't believe that, that God called me into ministry because I know where God saved me from. And I stand before you unworthy, unworthy of His grace and His kindness. God is a great God. Amen. And by the way, if you say amen, if you say preach it and things like that, we'll get out of here sooner. <laughs> I respond to that very, very well. Um, but, but my, you know, um, Stephen was talking about what I do. My official title is Director of, of Media Services, which is funny because I am the team leader for the Information Services team. They don't match. We don't know why. Um, but uh, but my, my technical interest started when I was a kid in the church, the Southern Baptist Church that I grew up in. And, uh, and I'm, I'm wearing a suit in front of you today, guys. Genetically, I'm a suit. Don't let it bother you. Um, I grew up in a church that also had a, a huge pipe organ. I mean, like a real pipe organ. And, um, and I just I grew up in that environment, and that, that affected me. But I had all of these opportunities, and I, I'm grateful. Before I ever worked at a TV station or, or did anything technical or, or went to school to study stuff like that, God stirred that in my local church. God started that in a church. And God also, also started my interest in ministry. Guys, I never surrendered to gospel ministry. Sometimes people share that testimony that God had to drag them kicking and screaming into, into ministry. Well, I want you to know as a kid, I don't know how young. Um, I, know, I know it wasn't really, really young because the only reason I know I had a young childhood is because my mom has told me so. Um, but, uh, but when I was a kid, I used to stack up boxes in my bedroom 
And I would take my Bible and I would lay it on top and I would open up the Bible and I would begin to preach to those walls. And I didn't know any better. I thought you just started at the beginning of the Bible and you went for it. And so, guys, I'm really good with Genesis 1-1 because uh, I've done it a lot. But, but I remember eventually thinking, God, how great it would be if at some point you, were, you would be, be so kind to me as to allow me to preach in a church that would be as kind to me as those walls were. And God has done that over the years, and I've been grateful, but that started in the church. And so I don't want you to at all underestimate your influence on the young people that are here in the church, some of them listening to me right now. You would be amazed at what God can start here in this place that will change countless lives after they leave this place. And so, so be diligent, be diligent. Um, it's great to serve you as a state missionary. Let me share with you the gospel ministry story I wanted to. This is about Christian challenge. Uh, I get these, these type of stories all the time via email. This one's from this past Monday. I didn't want to read you one from, from weeks ago or something like that. This past Monday, we had our state mission board meeting. And so we had people from all over the state come to help hold us as state missionaries accountable and uh, one of our state missionaries and one of our state mission board members uh, during our afternoon break headed to UNM and went out on campus to share the gospel. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? They went out to share the gospel, and here is the message that I received. I'll just read it to you. After we talked to Ryan, the next guy we saw was Anthony. He was sitting by the engineering library. He's a computer engineering major who grew up in Los Angeles, and then his family moved to Albuquerque several years ago. Anthony was very curious and responsive as we worked through the diagnostic questions. They have a plan they were using to share the gospel. That's the diagnostic questions. It seemed like he wasn't very familiar with the story of Jesus. So as the conversation went on, I shared about his life and death and resurrection. It became apparent to us Early on that Anthony <clears throat> was lost. And pretty early in the conversation, I think he became aware of his lostness. He showed interest in the verses that I had him read. And when I explained what he would need to do to get right with God, he was interested. I explained a few other things and then asked him if he was willing to repent and put his faith in Jesus today. And he said, yes. And he prayed to accept Jesus into his life. We talked through some follow-up questions to confirm his decision. And he gave me his number and indicated he'd be interested in me contacting him for follow-up. Thank the Lord for Anthony's salvation. Please pray for him as he considers what he's done. Ask the Lord to affirm in Anthony's heart that his salvation is secure. And pray for favor as the UNM Christian Challenge Ministry and I tag team to follow up with Anthony. Isn't that a great note? And guys, if that was the exception, I'd tell you. But that happens over and over and over. Your Christian Challenge Ministry on campuses all over our state 
are training students to share the gospel and not just teaching them to, but pairing them up so they go two by two out on campus looking for people to talk to. Sometimes they find out that they're believers and they encourage them in their faith. Sometimes they find out that they're lost and they don't know about Jesus and they tell them. And every time they do, they invite them to follow Jesus as their Savior. They're sharing the gospel and sharing the gospel in places where lost people are. And that's what we do. That's what we do together as New Mexico Baptists. And so I want to thank you um, as one of your state missionaries for participating together in in the cooperative program and the, the state missions offering. But even more than that, in helping us to win our state to Jesus Christ by telling them God's stories, telling lost people God's story, and inviting them to follow Jesus. That's what really marks the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so thank you for that. So I'm not preaching yet, um, but uh, I do want to do that. And so, so I want to I talk this morning to you a little bit about God's good process of worship. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'm going to share with you one of my quiet times. It, it's, just, it's just held on and held on, and I keep going back to it, and I keep going back to it, and I keep going back to it. And... Um, and, and when I first talked to, to Stephen about, about, I was trying to give him a break and, uh, and come to preach and, and give him a little bit of breathing room. And, and I already knew if I came what I would like to preach. It's Psalm 92, verses 1 through 4. God, guys, I've been working through this myself. Uh, as we were worshiping and I'm standing down there, I'm working through it while I'm standing worshiping. And I want to change the way that you look at worship. And so let me start this way. When I was working on my doctorate stuff, I learned that some of the powerful things that we do um, uh, require, uh, that are habits, uh, they require uh, a carefully orchestrated collection of elements. And to have a habit, you have to do that. So here's my illustration. When you walk up to a dark room, when you walk up to a dark room, if you grew up in the, in the United States, If you grew up other places, this might not happen. But if you grew up here, when you walk up to the door of a dark room and you're about to walk into the room, the first thing you do is you immediately begin feeling on the wall inside the door at just about the right height and just about the right distance from the door because the National Electrical Code requires that the light switch be placed in a particular place. And you're used to that. And you begin to feel in there and you flip the light on and you walk in and you don't even think about it. But guys, that's a powerful, powerful habit you have. It just, it just, it just triggers immediately when you see that, that dark room. And, and that's how it works. But I want to ask you, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Why didn't you walk up to the dark room and just stand there at the door and begin to wonder, I wonder if there are lights in here. Why didn't you wonder how you might, if there were lights in the room, how you would turn them on and activate them? Why didn't you have a thought, oh my, it's a dark room. Maybe I should go get a flashlight. Why didn't you think about that? Why is it that immediately when you walked up to that dark room, you began feeling inside the door at a certain place for a light switch? Guys, that is a powerful habit that you have. Not everybody in the world has that because when they walk into dark places, not everywhere in the world has electricity and lights and light switches. We're blessed. But it's a habit. And I began studying that. The common wisdom about habits is if you do something for 21 days, you'll have a habit. The only problem with that is that is not true. 
<clears throat> that is just simply not true. Researchers have researched that, and they've tried to figure out how many days does it take to establish a, uh, a habit, and, and they've gone from just a few days to hundreds and hundreds of days, and, and there is no consistency whatsoever. Just repetition alone doesn't seem to establish a habit. So what does? What, is it, what are those elements that have to be carefully orchestrated? Well, I, I was trying to work with married couples during that doctorate, and, um, and I was trying to help them learn some new habits, and I wanted to know best how that worked. And, and so I hunted and studied and hunted and studied. And finally, we, we found the mother load of research about habits and, and how the human psyche and brain works in establishing a habit because a habit is governed by a different part of your brain than active, intentional things that you do that you have to consciously think about. And they, they've studied this. And you have to move an activity from one part of your brain to another part of your brain for it to be a habit. And so you've got to find out a way to do that. It's actually something that happens in your mind. And so researchers came up with four things. Four things. The first one was plausible success. Guys, there are some things that no matter how hard you try to do it, you are never going to have a habit in that thing. Amen? Okay, for me, for me, a layup. Being able to do a layup is something I'll never be able to do. I had a coach in junior high school, who, in high school as well, who confirmed that. And, uh, and so there needs to be plausible success. It needs to be something that you actually could do. And, and so that's a big piece of it. Some people try to create habits that they just can't do. But the other thing is it does need to be repeatable. And some things you can't actually repeat the same thing over and over and over. You have to change it a little bit every time you do it and change it a little bit. And that's not repetition. That's actually for habits. That's a different thing every single time. So it needs to be repeatable. The other thing I learned is it has to be a conducive context. And guys, this really blew me away, especially for training marriage couples or doing any kind of training. And what they meant by this is it really needs to be learned in the context of use. And so at some point, somebody, you either saw them actually at the door of a dark room reaching around looking for a light switch, or somebody showed you where a light switch was and showed you how to find it on the wall. But they did that at the door to a dark room. And I learned with married couples, I can't have a workshop here at the church and teach them all of these great things to do to have a better relationship with their spouse and expect them when they go into real life with their spouse to do those things just like I taught them. Because what I need to do is find some way to teach them in the actual con context of practice. That's what they learned about, about, about habits. And then there's cost or reward. They found out that there needs to be elements of cost and reward. And for cost, that can simply be accountability. That somebody knows whether you did or you didn't do what you're trying to learn and create a habit of. And then some kind of reward to make it pleasant for you to do. If you leave out any of those four things, the likely end is <clears throat> you may do it for a little while, but you won't have a strong, lasting habit. And just like, just like human habits have some elements that you've got to pay attention to, guys, spiritual habits do too. And healthy habits of biblical worship have elements you need to pay attention to. When I was a pastor, I used to, I, don't, don't, I, I need to be careful saying this, 
Um, here's what I was going to say. I used to love it when my worship leader was gone. <laughs> um, I love our worship leader, and, um, and Danny does a great job. And doesn't he? Say amen. Um, and the team, by the way. Um, hey, hey, just a, a little bit of self-disclosure. So who, who, where's the cello guy? Raise your hand up. Where are you? Right Back there, back there. Okay, I, I'm a string bass player. I'm a strings player. I love it. I just love it. That was great. Um, but um, but we, have to, we have to do some things. And, and I used to enjoy when our worship leader was gone as a pastor. I said, no, we don't need to get a substitute worship leader. I'll do it. And she would look at me and squint uh, because she knows how I am musically. And um, I said, no, no, I, I want to do this. And what we would do during those times is we do worship training. We do worship training. We would talk about what we do in worship. I don't know if you notice the songs. I always pay attention to who the songs are to. Sometimes the songs are written to where we're actually talking to one another as we sing. Sometimes the, the, the words are written such that we're talking to the lost person among us. Sometimes the words are written that we're talking directly to God. And it makes a difference. And, and so we would talk about things like that and many other things. And, and we'd slowly learn. And so the sequence I want to share with you today, I call God's good process of worship. And you'll see why as, as, we, as we go into it. But I want you to stand with me and, and take your Bible and turn to Psalm 92. I want us to read verses 1 through 4. You will find words similar to these in your translation of Scripture. One of the interesting things about Psalm 192, it is, it is the most consistently, one of the most consistently translated psalms. Uh, Psalms can be pretty different from translation to translation, but this one is pretty similar. In Psalm 92, 1 through 4, you'll find words similar to these in your translation. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, at the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Would you close your eyes and, and bow your head? I want to pray this morning. If you're a student of Christian history, you may hear some familiar words. I've allowed other people to influence my prayers. Pray with me. Let's talk with God. Divine Spirit, we seek your help as our teacher. Illumine to us today the words of the Lord. Show us the wealth of glory that lies behind the old familiar stories. And teach us the depths of meaning that is hidden in the songs of Zion. Raise us to the heights of spiritual aspiration spoken in the words of the prophets. Lift us to the summit of faith that is trod by the feet of the apostle. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Daddy, pick us up and hold us close so that we can see what you see. Make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart and from the heart to the lip and conversations, from words to muscles and movements and actions, so that as the rain returns not empty, even so may your word accomplish in us that for which it's given. Affect us these days with the words of the psalmist and lead us deep into the realms of worship. Conduct us during this rehearsal for heaven 
to be ready for, for your eternity in your presence before your throne. We seek these things in the name of Jesus who told us to come here and to pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I like to give away everything right at the beginning. The takeaway, this is what I want you to leave with, is this this morning. Worship is an, an interaction with God, not merely a church meeting. And some of you this morning came to a church meeting. You weren't ready to worship. And what we're going to find out as we walk through is getting you to worship is not Danny's responsibility. He creates a wonderful, conducive environment for worship. He puts all the pieces together so that you can do it and do it well. He sets you up for success here when we meet together for corporate worship. But worship is really something that you bring with you. And so that's the takeaway this morning. Worship is an interaction with God, not merely a, a, a church meeting. Here's how worship works. God does something, and we feel something. Then we do something, and God feels something. And then it happens again and again and again. It's a cycle of our relationship with God. So here's a good question. A good question for us to, to think about. How can a person genuinely worship God? When I say how, I'm not talking about equality. Do they do it well or not? I'm talking about the pieces. Like if I ask, how, how can a person learn to swim? Well, there's steps to that. Or, or, or how can a person tie their shoes? When I had to teach my children how to tie their shoes, I was, I was bum-fuzzled all of a sudden. Is that even a word? Uh, but I had to think about how I actually tie my shoes and how I would help someone else to tie their shoes. And so how is it? How can a person genuinely worship God? And so to answer that question from this passage, I, I want to share with you two things. The first is this. Worship emerges from a personal process. Worship emerges from a personal process. And the second is this, that God responds to genuine worship. I'm going to spend more time talking about the first one than the second one because that's just how the Scripture here works. But let's look at this. Worship emerges from a, a personal process. I want, I want you to look with me carefully at what's actually in the, this psalm. I want you to see it. There, there are a few little word changes, but it's, it's mostly the same. In all of our translations, we'll be able to get it together. Now, Psalm 92 has a sequential nature to it. But if you don't get all the way to verse 4, you'll miss this. Because verses 1 through 3 all together are one part of the sequence. But if you look at verse 4, look at it, look at it. It starts with, with the word for. Some of you may have the word because. It starts with the word for. If I tell you I do something and then I say for, like, like I was generous with my children at Christmas, for it had been a great year. What that means is there's the sequence here that I had to have the great year so that I could be generous to my children. Do you see what I'm saying? You nod your head this for yes and this for no. And I can tell when you're nodding it's nodding off, by the way. I can tell. I can tell. When I was a young man, I was starting to preach. I was preaching Sunday nights as an associate pastor at our church. Seated, seated right over here, right over here, um, was a guy 
that, that he, would, he would be going during the service and everything. And as soon as the sermon started, it happened with my pastor, it happened when I preach. As soon as the sermon started, his head fell back, his mouth went open. And that's how he was for the rest of the sermon. Miraculously, until we got to the invitation, and then God struck him and woke him up, and he was awake again. And uh, the hardest time I ever had preaching was one Sunday night. I looked down at him, and he's, like, he's sitting there. Except I saw something that a preacher should never see. Because every now and then, this man would do this. He would do that. And I knew that. Now, I dismissed it. You just got used to things. But I looked down that night, and I looked over there, and his mouth was wide open, and a fly had landed on his face. A fly, I'm not kidding you, a fly had landed on his face and was walking around his lips. And I was just, I was trying to focus and keep on preaching while at the same time I was praying, Lord, please don't let him take a deep breath right now. <laughs> you know, it's just those things. But I can tell, I can tell. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, four. Four tells you some sequence, but there's another word here in verse four. It says, for you, O Lord, have made me glad. And then it says, says by. It says by. You may have the word through. But it says, by your work. And so there's a sequence that we see here that God does some work and that, that out of that work He makes us glad. And because of that, that gladness in our heart, we do this stuff that's in, in verses 1 through 3. Do you see what I mean about the sequence? And this means yes and this means no. We'll move faster. That's the sequence. Those words tell us something. That there's a sequence that happens in the worship here. And so I want us to walk through those steps. So the passage is backwards. It starts with what happens last. And then it goes to the middle. And then it goes to the end. And we're going to start with the end and then go to the middle. And then talk about what happens last, but it's written first. Isn't that confusing? Stay with me. So the first step of this is going to be this. Encounter. I characterize the process as encounter, emotion, and expression. So encounter, it says, by your work. So what this means is somehow we have to encounter God in His works. We have to see what He does. We have to know what He does. We have to be aware of what He does. God is at work right now. Say, Amen. You're glad God is at work right now because I'm standing here, I'm standing here, and, um, and gravity is keeping me standing here. And you know, we know about gravity. We know mathematically how to model gravity. We have some idea of, of what scenario to put in place to see gravity happen. But why gravity keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening, we don't know how it started. And we really don't know how it keeps going. But aren't you glad that God is the sustainer of all things? Yeah, you are, because you're sitting in a chair by gravity right now. And if not, we'd all be floating around the room, and that'd be seriously awkward. But think about it. Think about it. Somehow, you have to be attuned. You have to see. You have to hear about. You have to become aware of God's works. I want you to listen very carefully. Real quiet. Listen. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? 
You should have heard a whole bunch of songs and, and DJs and, and everything else. Satellite radio, TV stations, um, uh, radio stations, all of them. And they're, they're, just, they're, they're zooming through the air in here. Radio waves are going crazy in this room right now. All of them are talking and all of them want your attention so they can sell them your attention to advertisers. That's what they do. Why is it that sitting in this room, none of us heard any of that? None of, none of us saw any of the television stuff that's being transmitted through the air right now. Why is it? Why is it? I mean, I've got all these channels on my Sirius XM radio. Why didn't you hear any of those? And it's because you don't have a proper antenna. And you don't have a receiver tuned to the right frequency. Because that's the only way you'll hear those things. And guys, there's people in the world who are completely unaware of God being at work in this world. They don't understand all the things that are happening. There are saints who come to church on Sunday morning, and they come with some kind of ho-hum attitude. Here we are again. It's Sunday morning. This is what we do. But God is doing amazing works. He's doing amazing works. I shared with you a story of last, last Monday. Last Monday when saints went out and told the story about what God does for lost people. And someone said, yes, yes, I'll take that. I'll give my life to Christ. And God wiped away their sins. He wiped them clean. They're gone. They're washed away. He's, he's given that person new life. God lives in an incredible place that we'll see one day. I can't really imagine what it's like because the Bible describes the pavement there as pure gold like clear glass. Guys, God's amazing. And He's doing amazing things. But it's possible that you could live life and not be tuned in. Not be using the right antenna and the right receiver so that all that God is doing passes by you and you come to a time of worship and you've not seen God at work so you're not feeling anything so you don't really do anything. As a kid, I watched this. As I watched this, I told you about the pipe organ. Guys, I love pipe organ music. I just, I just do It's amazing. It's amazing. But that pipe organ would play and when they used those low registers, I mean, the place would shake. It was really amazing. And I would, I would look around because I've got the hymnal. I brought one today just in case you don't know what one is. <laughs> it's a hymnal. Um, we had our hymnal and we were singing hymns. And I would see people take, for instance, Amazing Grace. And they would be singing like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You know what I mean? And there was no tinge of amazement in what they were doing. And they had come to church because church is what they do on Sunday morning. But they weren't tuned in. They hadn't seen God at work. They didn't come ready for worship. The process had not begun with them. And that's where the process starts. Worship never begins in this room. Worship begins with God Himself. God created the universe and the world. If you don't, if you don't believe that, you're at odds with God Himself, with the patriarchs, with the prophets, with Jesus, with, with the apostles, with, with the writer Paul himself. You're at odds with them. God created the universe and the world. He created living creatures, including us. Look at your hands. 
Hold your hands in front of you. Do it. Do it. Hold your friends' hands in front of you. Look at that. Look at that. Somebody came up with the designs of all those little lines on your hand. You may say that's age. God says, no, that's perfection. I came up with that. Look at that. Okay, then do this. Keep your hands in front of you. Everybody, come on, come on, come on. Keep your hands in front of you. Okay? Close your fingers into a fist. I have no idea how I do that. I just do. It's amazing. I don't know what's going on with that. I have no clue. But God did that. God did that. He came up with that. We are so worried about robots today. I'm thinking God must have been worried about robots when He made us. Oh no, what if they disobey me and sin and rebel against me? That's just what we're talking about, robots. And He made us like this. He figured this out. No engineering team, just God. And we can't duplicate it. We can't even come close. AI. AI, artificial intelligence. Well, God created the real thing. He created intelligence. And we don't understand it. Neuroscientists have been, have been studying the brain for, for years and years and years. And we don't understand everything. We don't know all about how it works. God created all that. God sustains all that creation. God judges. God speaks. God speaks. God speaks. I'm, I'm so excited. I've, I've read through Exodus and Leviticus. I'm starting into Deuteronomy. And guys, I'm having the greatest time. Do you know what it says over and over and over in those books? Oh, this is good. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for it? Yes. Say amen. Amen. And he spoke. That's what it says. And then a little while later it says, and, and, and God spoke. And then a little bit later it says it, and God spoke. And then a little bit later, it says it again. And God spoke. And then a little bit later, God says it again. And God spoke. And you know what happens just a little bit later? He spoke. He spoke. And then a little bit later, what did He do? He spoke. And the book of Leviticus alone are 37 speakings of the Lord God Almighty. People get tired of Leviticus and they say, oh, all that stuff. Well, I want you to know 37 times in the book of Leviticus, God spoke. And, and I just started Deuteronomy yesterday. And so I thought I'd go ahead and just check it out. And I think it's way over 37. Because over and over and over and over through the book of Deuteronomy, it says, and God spoke. And God spoke to Moses. And God spoke to Moses and Aaron. And then I thought, well, I wonder. I just wonder. I just wonder. So I went back. I went back to where it started with the burning bush. And from the burning bush to the end of Deuteronomy, God spoke and God spoke and God spoke and God spoke. And right now, you either on your device or on paper in your lap, you have a copy of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is here and God is still speaking today. Amen? That's a work of God. That starts the process. That's amazing. He speaks. He appears. God works miracles, Baptists. He does. He actually does all those things. And God, God completed and offers redemption for any who will believe in Him. He did that. He did that. And the Bible says that God is loving and God is faithful. These are all works of the Lord God Almighty. This is where it starts. In other places in Scripture, you're going to find some other things that, 
that are not listed here, but this process appears over and over and over in Scripture, and, and there are other things that are listed there. Here are some of them. God's presence, His nature, His person, His personality, His attributes, His position and divinity, and all those things. Genuine worship begins with God. And that's where we start. That's where we start. And guys, I've got to hurry. Can you help me hurry? Say Amen. I want us to talk about worship and how it feels. It says, Oh Lord, you have made me glad. You see, in this process of worship, an emotion happens. Something goes on with you. You see God at work, and, and yet, are you awake? Are you awake? You see God at work, and you say, Wow! You say that. You get excited about it. Something happens within you. Worship is an inherently emotional activity before the Lord God Almighty. Hey, listen, listen. You're Baptist. Don't worry. Out of all of the Christians in the world, you are the least likely to lose control. Okay? Okay? And so, so worship has some emotion to it. It does. God made your emotions. And he can, he can make you glad by His work and His influence on you. He, he affects you. I want you to, to think about it. Uh, some people raise their hands in worship. I'd love to talk about that more. But one time, one time I was being interviewed uh, for being a pastor of a church. We'd gotten to the place where I'm sitting there in front of the church family on a stool. And somebody says, um, so what do you think about people raising their hands in worship? Do you hear how quiet it just got? You even want to know what I said. And, um, and that's what happens uh, this, this somehow is a divisive issue. Did you know in the Bible that people lift their hands and worship and praise to the Lord? You'd be concerned if you read all the things that were actually mentioned in the Bible that people did in worship before the Lord. Because some of those things have been taken and distorted. Here was my answer. I said, I am okay with somebody lifting their hands to worship and praise the Lord as long as it's authentic. But if they walk in and the first beat of music starts and their hands go up because they're triggered by music, that's not worship. And I don't have a lot of thought about that. And I said, and it's just the same as the person who sits there and they're quiet and they seem introspective. And if that's how, how God is leading them to worship and they're feeling humble before God, well, well praise God. Let them sit there quietly during worship and, 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 and be thoughtful before the Lord God Almighty. But, but just like the person who hears music and their hands go up and it's not intentional at all, there's some people who sit quietly in their pews and they're introspective because they're thinking about what they're going to do later in the day and they're quiet and they don't seem to participate and it's not authentic. What I'm for is for authentic worship. That's what we're all about. i got to move on. Uh, and, and so there's, there's this emotion You've got to look for God to be at work and you've got to allow yourself to feel something about what you see. And then, then there's the expression. What does worship do? I'm getting out of breath. Listen, like facets of the jewel, all the things that are mentioned here in verses 1 through four, 3, uh, they're, they're all facets of the, the same thing. They're just different sides of worship. It, it mentions thanksgiving, which is verbalized thankfulness. That's what the Hebrew means. There's singing. In the Hebrew, what this means is singing. 
Hasn't humanity stayed the same? It means singing, guys. And, and then the, to declare, it means to sing or to declare or to make known or, or to report or to tell somebody something that needs to be known. And in other places in the Scripture, there, there are other expressions used. Uh, some people think I'm a little bit too animated when I preach. Well, in the, in the Bible during worship, some people shouted, shouted. It gets more controversial. It gets more controversial. Some of them lifted their hands. Some of them bowed down low. And then some of them, not like anything you see today, but some of them danced before the Lord. Some of them danced before the Lord. And by the way all that's gotten corrupted, we're afraid to do anything in worship. Hear the silence. And notice that worship has an accompaniment. Don't we have a great praise band up here? They're just amazing. I, I watch. There's so much talent up here. It's just amazing. It, it mentions instruments here too. The, the worship has accompaniment um, uh, through sound and melody and rhythm. And you see that. The music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. And I went looking elsewhere. I, I didn't want anybody to be left out because elsewhere in worship it mentions the horn and the timbrel or the tambourine and the trumpets and the cymbals and the castanets and the lute and the pipe. And what I've learned about reading Revelation is, listen, if you don't want worship to be bright and loud, you need some adjustment before you get to heaven. Because the trumpets are going to sound. Guys, that's how we're, we're going to get home. The trumpets are going to sound and there's going to be a great multitude that sings and, and there's going to be all this stuff and, and it's going to be loud in heaven. And so this is, this is the expression, the expression, but it's an expression of the emotion. And the emotion is a reaction to God at work. And so we have to start way before we get here. And we have to start into the process of encounter and emotion and then expression. And finally... I'm going to give you this. I told you I wouldn't spend too much time with this. God responds to genuine worship. At the very beginning of this psalm, there are three little words. It is good. When God created, He said, it is good. And then next, He saw that it was good. And then next, He saw that it was good. And then next, He saw that it was good. And then the next thing, he saw that it was good. And when he got done with everything, he saw that it was very good. Amen. Guys, that is the exact same language that is used here at the beginning of Psalm 192. And you've got to understand in the Psalms, in the Psalms, the words mingle the words of the psalmist toward God and the words of God himself. God inspired this psalm. It's God who's saying it is good. It is good. And it doesn't just refer to the beginning, the, the first three verses, the expression. It's the whole process that's good. This is God's good process of worship. And we want, when we talk about it, we're not talking about something morally like it's right or wrong. This word describes something that is agreeable or, or pleasant or delightful or something that brings pleasure or makes you happy and what this means is this kind of worship worship that goes through this process that starts with god stirs you up becomes an expression before him this kind of worship is agreeable 
to God our Creator. It is pleasing to Him. It makes Him happy. Guys, this, is just, this just blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. I learned it a long time ago when I genuinely worship the Lord God Almighty. I affect emotions on the throne of God. Isn't that incredible? I mean, some people, some people think God is so all far off and He's untouchable. And when you genuinely worship Him, I want you to know you, you stir His heart. Where He is seated on His throne, you affect the Creator. That's what this is all about. Guys, when we meet together on Sunday mornings, this is a rehearsal for heaven. That's what this is. So I want to ask you, I want to ask you just some questions. What am I personally doing in my walk with God to help me to encounter God and His works? What am I doing? What am I doing to personally be ready to worship when I get to church on Sunday morning? And think about it. How does this process affect you individually? And think about how it affects the church corporately. How does it affect the people around you when you're ready And when you're not ready, think about that. Listen, worship matters to the church. Worship, this is the takeaway. We'll come back to it. This is where I was going to land. Maybe it'll make sense now. Worship is an interaction with God, not merely a church meeting. God does something. I feel something. I do something. God feels something. That's the cycle of worship. Would you pray with me?